Good morning, Family Church. Over the past few weeks and many months, we've been working through the book of Ephesians, and we've slowed down as we came into chapters 5 and 6. We've been discussing marriage, our marriage to Christ, our marriage to one another, what it means to be in a church body, how the gospel works in the midst of our marriage, and how we work through those. We've seen parents and children, and how the home is supposed to be, how the husband is leading in the home, and how the, the wife is in the home and the children, how those things work together for God's glory. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage that talks about slaves and masters. And we're going to break this down to what that means for us today. And I want to begin by discussing the secret of harmony. The secret of harmony in your home. The secret of harmony in the midst of your marriage or with your children or with your parents, or at your school, the secret of harmony to all things goes back to a believer's motivation, what their motives are for why we do as Christians what we do. And that's a question we need to continually ask ourselves is, what am I doing this for? Warren Wearsby says this principle of headship, the principle of headship we're going to break down here, is what helps bring harmony to your home. Well, what does he mean by that? He goes on to say, as unto Christ is the motive. So harmony in the home has the motive of as unto Christ. To your parents, the motive is as unto Christ himself. To your spouse, as unto Christ. He goes on to say and give examples, just as we've seen in Scripture. Wives are to submit to their husbands as unto Christ himself. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Children are to obey their parents as unto the Lord. And then he ends with family members who are right with the Lord will be right with each other. And I want us to think about that. Family members who are right with the Lord will be right with each other. Husbands who are right with the Lord in this vertical relationship, will be right with their spouse. Wives who are right with the Lord will be right with their husbands. Parents who are right with the Lord will be right in the home with their children, and children who are right with the Lord will be right with their parents. And this goes to where you work and in the home atmosphere. All of it is the motive as unto the Lord. And some of you may be thinking, Pastor Casey, this vertical relationship isn't the problem, right? It's this one over here with my children. It's, it's their relationship with the Lord that's a problem. Or my spouse. You just, don't, you just don't know my spouse. You don't know my employer. You don't know who I work for, right? You don't know my teacher at school. Well, God says harmony is, is the motive unto Christ, when you have your vertical relationship with Christ correct, you will have right relationships with each other. And the problem with our thinking is it's not this relationship. It's this one over here is, simply put, that's nowhere in the Bible. We, we don't see that anywhere where, where we are given an excuse by somebody else's action or inaction to treat them any differently than Scripture has called us to treat them. Now, there may be different ways we treat them, but it's always going to be if we're right with the Lord, we're going to be 
doing what's right for them. And so I want us to see in the passage that we're going to look at this morning that if anyone had reason to say, as we've talked about wives submitting to husbands, children submitting to parents, husbands, we're submitting to Christ and we're loving our wife as Christ loved the church, all of those things are very difficult to do because we love ourselves. And if there was anyone in the context of what we've covered so far where they were given a commandment, And they were given this commandment where they would say, time out. This is not fair. I didn't sign up for this. If there was anyone who could say that, it wasn't the wife who's married to a jerk. And it wasn't the husband who's trying to love his wife, but she's unlovable. Or the student who really doesn't have parents that are leading well. It wasn't any of those people. If anyone had a reason to say, time out, this is unfair. What I am being called to do by God is unfair. It would have been the slaves. It would have been the slaves. They had reason to complain. And I hope as we look at this passage regarding slaves and their masters, that in all the areas that all of us have where we need to be submitting to others, or we are in fact leading and others are submitting to us, that we would look at how these slaves actually did this. Because it's going to intensify everything you've heard the past couple of weeks. This passage about slaves and masters should intensify what we have heard. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's take a moment to turn there. We're going to go all the way through verse 9. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9 says this, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Let's pray this morning. God, we do ask that you speak to us through your word this morning. God, may you reveal to us what you want us to hear. Help us to have the right type of hearts and ears. God, we thank you for your word God, we know it is difficult to submit, and we're going to talk about why that is. It is so difficult to honor others more than we honor ourselves. So God, I pray through this passage that we may see some things more clearly about why and actually what we can do to change those things for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we begin going straight into the scriptures, a few introductory questions for us this morning. Many say, I don't, I don't like the Bible. I don't believe in the Bible because there's slavery all throughout the Bible. And, and Paul, is, it, Paul doesn't even talk about ending slavery here. I mean, is Paul supporting slavery? Because he doesn't say, masters, release all your slaves. No, he actually says, obey your earthly masters. So was Paul supporting slavery? Well, that's a question we need to think about. Was he condoning slavery? 
Well, we need to understand that at this point in history, the city of Ephesus, where this letter was wrote to, up to one-third of the population were slaves. There was that many slaves in that city. And it's estimated that in the whole Roman Empire, there were 60 million slaves or bondservants in that empire. A sickness and idleness had fallen upon the Roman citizens to where it was beneath them to do work. So everybody had slaves or servants doing all different types of things. It was beneath them to do work. And so we see Paul writing in the midst of this cultural enslavement. And his focus isn't ending slavery or a movement. His focus is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is trying to teach and preach in the midst of that. And we later see throughout history that because of the cause of Christ, that slavery largely died out. It's because of the cause of Christianity. And it wasn't about ending the movement there. It was actually about pursuing the gospel and preaching and teaching everyone the gospel. Because when the gospel gets a hold of your heart, it changes what you do. It changes how you treat people. It changes the way people vote for things. That is the major issue for upcoming elections. It's not about certain moral issues. It's about Christ. We have to get back to what it was actually for. And so I want us to see a glimpse, a picture of what these slaves actually faced. I mean, what did these slaves actually face? Because it's going to help us understand how difficult these commandments were for these slaves. Because we all have some things we're called to honor and submit to. And we're going to see how they were called to honor and submit to these as well. William Barclay, in his commentary, regarded the slave culture, and he shares the following. And this is just a brief history, some things we have historically documented. One Roman writer divided agricultural instruments into three different classes. The articulate, who were the slaves. The inarticulate, which were animals. And the mute, which were tools and vehicles. A slave's only distinction above animals or tools was that he could speak in that classification system. The Roman statesman Cato said this, and I want you to hear what he said thousands of years ago and listen to the same type of way our culture is moving today in regards to the sanctity of life and even at the end of life, the sanctity of life. Cato said this, old slaves should be thrown on a dump. And when a slave is ill, do not feed him anything. It is not worth your money. Notice he says, it is not worth your money. Not he or she is worth your money. He goes on to say, take sick slaves and throw them away because they are nothing but inefficient tools. Augustus crucified a slave who accidentally killed his pet quail. And a man named Polio, threw a slave into a pond of deadly lamprey eels for breaking a goblet. Juvenal wrote of a slave owner whose greatest pleasure was listening to the sweet song of his slaves being whipped or being flogged. That's some historical documents we have about how slaves were treated. Yet, we read in Scripture, written to these same slaves... Bond servants, obey, honor your earthly masters. We discussed this term at length a few months ago of doulos, this word bond servants, going back to it's a permanent type of relationship 
where somebody has submitted themselves to somebody else. As Christians, we are doulos to Christ. We've submitted ourselves to Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and my master. His will should be my will. And my will should be wrapped up in pleasing him. That's why we obey scriptures, because we want to please our heavenly father. And when we see how these slaves were treated, and then we see the commandments God gives them, it leads us to point number one, our first conclusion this morning. Point number one, your submission to earthly masters is not dependent upon their ability, their experience, their age, their knowledge, or a very difficult one, their fair or good treatment of you. I want you to think about that. We talked about, and Terry, Terry talked about in regards to children and obeying their parents. It's not just obeying, it's actually honoring, having a reverence for. It's not simply enough to obey, it's actually to have a reverence and a respect for. And it's not because parents deserve it. These slaves and these masters of these slaves did not deserve it, as you've just heard. But it's not based on ability, experience, how old they are, how much knowledge they have. If you have more knowledge than they do, it doesn't matter. If they're in a position over you, God has placed them there, and you are under their authority. Scripture says we should obey our earthly masters. They had horrible living conditions, yet they were told to obey and to honor. And, and one thing we can look at is these slaves didn't rise up against their circumstances. It wasn't, hey, we're followers of Christ. We shouldn't be slaves. Everybody, let's raise up and lead a rebellion against our slave masters. We don't see God saying to do that. They weren't trying to change their circumstances. They were trying to honor Christ in the midst of their circumstances. And maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. I mean, maybe you need to hear the one thing you need to hear is rather than trying to change the circumstances or the situation that you're in or to get out of it or to change it or to manipulate it, maybe you just need to focus on obeying Christ in the midst of your circumstance. Maybe that's where all your effort needs to go. Rather than trying to change it and manipulate it and get out of it or change whatever it is, you're, you're putting all your effort in that. These slaves were in much worse probably conditions than you were. And God says, honor me unto Christ first and foremost. That's what we're called to do as believers. Now, there may be a time where we need to change our circumstances. But if we pursue that out of selfishness and for my own gain rather than his gain, we're entering into sin. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Let's continue on in the verse. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. This leads us to point number two this morning. As Christians, we obey our earthly masters, whether it's a husband whether it's a church leader, whether it's our boss, whether it's a governing authority or a police officer or another church member we're called to submit to, we obey our earthly masters with a sincere heart. Terry preached a couple of weeks ago, children obey from the inside out. And he said that children should obey, Luki, from what type of heart? What type of heart should you? I don't know. You don't know? A what type of heart? Happy. A happy heart, right? 
we obey from a happy heart. I mean, that's how, as Christians, children, whatever, we obey from a happy heart. And that's unto the motives, unto Christ. That's how we should obey. It's not because our parents are bigger than us when we're children, or that they provide for us, or because my parents deserved my respect. No, children obey, students obey, teenagers obey out of a reverence for who? Christ. That's, that's why, ultimately, we should do it. And so a believer's motivation and what they do is always tied to who are they going to serve. Are they going to serve themselves? Or are they going to serve Christ? Is a husband going to serve himself? Or is he going to serve Christ and love his wife? It's not dependent on how she's acting. It's not dependent on how your husband is acting, if he deserves your respect or not. It's not dependent on if your parents deserve it or not. Just like it's not dependent on... Clearly, it's not dependent on if these slave masters deserved honor or respect. We know they didn't, right? We know they didn't, but they're still called and commanded to do these things. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. Romans 14, verses 7 through 9. Romans 14, 7 through 9 gives us a glimpse of this. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That thought of I've given my life to him. For to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. As a Christian, as a husband, as a wife, as a worker, as an employer, whatever it is, all of us fit into many of those categories. We get our worth and our value from God. That's where we should get it from. Not from if we get something from our spouse or if we give something to our children or our employer, we get our value from him. And when we don't get our value from him, that's why we pursue selfish gain. That's why we want these different things that the Lord has not given us. And now we've made an idol of that. And now we're serving ourselves as our own God because God hasn't given it to me. And this progression goes on. For example, to bring this point home about obeying with a sincere heart, are you quicker to submit and honor someone in your life when they treat you well? If there's an authority in your life and they treat you with love and respect, are you more quick to submit and honor to them, to obey them, rather than if they don't? Something to think about. We'll get to the motives of, of why that is. For example, at your workplace, there's a managing position above you. You've been working there for quite some time trying to move up. And there's, a, there's an opening position, so you apply for it. Somebody else gets the job. Somebody else that hasn't even worked at the company. Somebody that's less qualified than you are. Somebody who, who doesn't even have a background in that, and you've specialized in that. But they got the job and you didn't. Maybe because they knew somebody. Now, this person is in a managing position over you. 
Is it difficult to honor them and submit to them? Why? Why is that? They don't deserve it. It makes us angry, right? I'm the authority in my life, so I can't submit. I can't honor them because they're not experienced. I've worked harder than they did. They just, they just weaseled into that position. Whatever it is, let's say this. You've been coming to church. You've heard these messages on marriage and husbands and wives and honoring. So let's say your spouse... God's really been convicting them. So they've really been working hard around the house to do some things for you. Just to do some things lovingly for you. Does this make it easier for you to love them and honor them because of the things they're doing? I mean, for most of us, we're like, of course it does. I mean, my spouse, God's working on them, and so they're doing these things. Of course it's going to make it easier for me to, to reciprocate those things. Well, what is the motive there? Why is it easier? Should it be easier? I mean, that's a question. Should it be easier when my wife is doing things for me that I can do things for her? Well, if I'm relying on my identity coming from her rather than the Lord, of course it's more easy. But what happens when she doesn't do those things? All of a sudden, I don't do those things, right? And all of a sudden, I'm not getting any, any value from her. And there's issues because I'm not doing it for the right motives. Well, that's why as a believer, when you are in right relationship with the Lord, you will be in right relationship with your spouse and everybody else. They may not be in right relationship with you because of their vertical relationship, but there's no excuse there for you. And scripture always says that. Let's continue on. Verse 5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Point number three, we obey our earthly masters as we would Christ himself. It goes on to say fear and trembling. So regardless of if we're treated like dirt or not, we're doing these things as unto Christ. It goes on to say not verse 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. Point number 4, we obey for God alone, not to have our efforts seen by others. Now, this is a very difficult one because we are so people pleasers by nature, more than we think we are. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was watching some workers at someone's house, which I will not name, um, but I was watching some workers at someone's house, and they were doing some work, and, and they didn't know that I was watching them. And two workers started talking, and you've all seen this happen. Two workers are talking, and they're joking around, and then another, another worker comes up, and now there's three, and before long, there's five workers, you know, and the five workers are talking and joking around and having a good time. And then all of a sudden, who's pulling down the road but the homeowner, right? So the homeowner's pulling down the road, and all of them see the homeowner, and what do they do? right? They scatter. So they all find things like they're doing, oh, I'm picking this thing up and I'm, I'm taking this thing over here and acting like they're carrying things. They can't see them because they have their back to them. I mean, they're all doing these goofy things. What were they doing? They weren't doing it as unto the Lord. They were doing it for people pleasers as, as just eye service. And scripture says as Christians, as believers, even these slaves were called not to do that, not because they might've been beaten, which 
clearly might have been a reason, but because they wanted to honor Christ himself. Here's an illustration for us. Dr. Harold John Ockinga, pastor of Park Street Church, founding uh, president of both Fuller and Gordon-Conwell Seminaries, told how before the war, when he was preaching in Poland, he was invited to visit Prince Carol Radsville on his 13-acre estate, or 1,300-acre estate. Suddenly, the prince pointed to an impressive young man standing by. He is the best worker in all my estate, and it was due to him that I invited you here today. He then went on to say that he was favorably disposed to a religion that so could affect a man's life. So here you have a gardener working in this 1300 estate of this prince who he could see this man was my best worker, and it's because he was a believer in Jesus Christ. And it's because of that belief that he invited a pastor to come and speak with him and spend the day with him. We have no idea what our work ethic does, and people see that. And as Christians, we shouldn't work differently because we work for a prince or because we work for our wage or for a boss. We work for a heavenly king. I mean, our employer is different. So we should have a different work ethic than those around us. And so when you're at work, think through some of these things. And again, I want us to go back to Scripture. We see the same things emphasized. Look again with me. Verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Verse 6. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, And here it goes again, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Just in case we didn't get it the first time, Scripture goes back and repeats itself as bondservants of Christ, doing the will from the heart. With a happy heart, we do these things. So it doesn't matter whether we are a CEO or a multimillionaire or we just work as a cash register somewhere. It doesn't matter what, who we're doing it. We're actually doing it for the Lord or we're not. Question for us this morning. Do we work harder when we know we're being evaluated? When we know there's an evaluation coming up, do we work harder for more sales or for more customer service? When the boss steps in, do you snap to and you work differently? You have a different work ethic. Scripturally, as a believer, the boss is always in the room. I mean, that's the way we should think of this. Is regardless of if the boss is in the room or not, I'm not working for you. I'm working for him. And when you work for him, listen, every one of your employers are going to be ecstatic to have you on the team. If you actually live out Christian principles in the workplace, Verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not as to man. Point number five, our work ethic is not based on consequences or rewards. We should be doing all of these things for God's glory. Whether we get paid a little bit or a lot, when you get a raise, are you more prone to work and to show your appreciation or do you work the same as before? Something to think about. 
whether you're, you're earning a little bit or a lot or somebody tips you well or doesn't tip you well. I've been a server at a restaurant. And sadly to say, at that point in my life, if I got a lousy tip or I knew people weren't going to tip me because many times you can know beforehand some type of people, I, would, would I give them the same service as I would somebody coming up dressed in a suit and it looks like that they have a lot of money? I mean, those are types of things that you think about as a believer. At, at that time, I wasn't. But as a believer, it doesn't matter who I'm, I'm serving. I do all these things for God's glory. We have the best employer, so we should be providing the best quality of work. So next time, the dishes need to be done. The yard mode, the room vacuum, the trash taken out. Or even you have to do somebody else's job at work, Right? You don't do this with bitterness or disdain. You do it happily with a what type of heart? A happy heart, right? And is it enough just to put on a good smile and a customer service phone call voice to do it? No, right? That's not from the inside out. This goes back to your value and your identity comes from God. If your value and identity doesn't come from God, you can't actually do this from the inside out. You're just going to be putting on a show, looking like you're doing it from the inside out. But everybody knows, and God knows you're not. You're really doing it for yourself. Because you don't want to lose your job or whatever it may be. As a believer, as a worker, whether you're in the home or you're out of the home doing your work, we don't try to cut corners. We don't try to make a profit at someone else's expense. We don't try to save time or any of these other things that the world does. Because when we do that, it reflects on who our employer is. And God says our employer ultimately at the end of the day is him. And because of that, we should honor and treat others better than we treat ourselves. Verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is a bondservant or is free. So whether you're a stay-at-home parent or you go off to work each day or you're self-employed or you own your own business, it doesn't matter. It says, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. God is the one who provides for us. And this implications of this are huge. We don't go to work to earn a living and to earn a paycheck. We actually go to work and we honor God, and he's the one who provides through that employer our pay. That's how we need to look at this. It's not that I'm earning this. It's I'm working for the Lord, and the Lord is providing for me. Otherwise, you're working for yourself and your, your own God, your own employer. God has nothing in your life that he's really providing. And it is by God's grace that you have that job. And that's the way we need to be thinking of these things. I mean, we all have, we've heard the joke before, are you working hard or are you hardly, what, working? I mean, that's a question we can ask ourselves as believers. Am I working hard for the Lord or am I hardly working for the Lord? Something to think about. I mean, why you do what you do. Do you work hard for the Lord or in your work, do you hardly think about doing it for the Lord? And I think if most of us are honest, it's so easy to get caught up in, 
well, I'm trying to provide my, for my family and to do this and to do that. And all these things God has commanded us to do. But in the midst of those things, we need to stop and realize what God has called us to do. It's not just provide for the family. It's actually my work ethic comes from the Lord. So I want us to take a moment and to pray and for us to really take some time and think, do I really work for the Lord? I spent some time with Terry and Jamie this weekend. My wife's out of town and they're learning a verse of working heartily for the Lord. And this, is, this goes to that verse, work heartily for the Lord. So let's take a moment. You spend some time with the Lord about this work ethic. Maybe if you need to confess and say, God, many times I work for my own selfish gain. Help me to change that. Let's take a moment and then we'll continue on. God, we do confess that many times we work for our own selfish gain. Even just working for our families. Because we love our families, even that is selfish. Because it's something we love. Um, God, you've commanded us to do that. But help us to ultimately know that at the end of the day, we work for you. So help us to work hard for you rather than hardly working for you. We're sorry when we've done that in the past. So God, we thank you for your word today and for teaching me so many things. It's in Jesus' name we pray as we continue on. Amen. Masters in verse 9 goes to speak to masters. Employers do the same to them. So that verse is saying if you're an employer, everything we've just gone through applies to you as well. Masters do the same to them, but then it adds some things regarding masters, employers. It says, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. In essence, what this is saying is that God has placed you or elevated you into the position that you are in to manage something over somebody else, whether it's a husband in the home or whether it's a leader somewhere or whether it's a CEO or your own business where you have a couple of employees under you, or whether you are a mom in the home and you have children under you, all of those things apply. And God is watching you because he placed you in that position. He's watching your attitude. He's watching what you say. He's watching your tone of voice, the pride that could easily come out in your daily responsibilities. Philippians calls us as we've learned when we preach through Philippians to do all things without grumbling or what? Complaining. All things without grumbling or complaining. When we grumble or complain, it shows that we don't have what type of heart? A happy heart because we're doing it for ourselves. So whether you're a child, a teenager, a mother, a father, employees, church members, we do all things without grumbling or complaining because we do them ultimately for the Lord. When we grumble and complain, we show we're doing it for other people rather than ourselves. So scripture gives us a clear warning regarding our work ethic. And then it goes on to say in the rest of verse 9, there is no partiality in him. God is not going to look at one and say, you're off the hook. 
and you are. No, he's saying there's no partiality with him. And he's going to look at everybody, whether you are that slave who's treated poorly or the wife or any of these things, it does not matter how you are treated. It matters how you are responding because God has commanded us to respond a certain way. And he's not going to say, well, okay, I'll I'll forgive you because, no, he, he upheld even slaves to pursue this type of thing. Are you being a good employer? Do you do all for the glory of God? Are you being a good employer, treating your company and the services you offer as a way to glorify God? Stay-at-home parents, are you being a good steward of the responsibilities and time or children God has entrusted you with? Are you being a servant to others? A few years ago, God revealed this first to my wife, And then my wife talked with me about it, and God really used it in my life. And it's really easy for all of us to say, I'm going to treat you better, and I'm going to honor you, because, you know, I'm just going to be a servant to you. You As as church members, as Christians, we know we're called to do that, washing each other's feet. We're called to put somebody else, to treat somebody better than we treat ourselves. But what happens if somebody treats you that way without you giving that invitation? Like, I'm going to say, I'm going to be a a servant and a slave to you. Well, what happens if somebody just comes up to you, another believer, and they start treating you like a servant and a slave? I mean, one I've given permission to, right? The other is assuming I'm a servant and a slave. So how do you respond when somebody commands you to do something that you don't have to do? I mean, we have that internal, like... You're, wait, you're going to treat me this way? Who, who do you think you are to do this? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not employed by you. I mean, that's the way we typically respond. And that shows our heart. You know, to say if we have to submit ourselves to them to not respond that way, that's actually not submission at all. Because we are the ones still in control of the situation. Something to think about. Church, I want to end with this. We don't earn God's grace or his favor by our work ethic or by having our good work ethic or by treating others respectfully. Scripture makes it crystal clear that every single one of us have failed horribly in our responsibilities to Christ, to one another, to God. We have failed in that. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's because of the great truths we find in the word of God that we can live differently through the gift of salvation that we can treat others who don't deserve that type of treatment, love and respect. We can treat them differently. Well, how can we do these things? Well, we don't get our identity from them. Number one, we didn't deserve to be served. Matthew 20, 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we didn't deserve to be served, yet Christ came and served us anyways. We didn't deserve love. 1 John four ten says, This is love, not that we loved God first, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
So we didn't deserve love, but God gave us love anyways. We deserved to die because of our continued sinning and rebelliousness against God. That's what all of us deserve. If God gave us all justice, we would all deserve death and eternal punishment separation away from God because we have continually failed him and we choose continually sin. We have failed in that. Yet, Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins, our sins, and was raised to life for our justification. It's not simply enough to put a smile on and to do these things from an outward appearance or to love your wife superficially or to honor your husband, but on the inside, you're still resentful. Christ calls us to more than that because we don't serve earthly masters. We serve a heavenly king. So whether we're treated poorly or we're treated well, this doesn't change how we treat others. Students, teenagers, children, are your parents really that hard to submit and honor compared to what these slaves had to face on a daily basis? Is that really the same type of situation at home that you face? For those whose marriage is in a bad place, how can you say that divorce is an option because of what reasons? The slaves in this passage sure weren't given any options like this. In fact, later we see in Scripture where slaves were wanting to run away, they were told to go back out of reverence for Christ and to honor their slave master. They didn't get a free ticket or a get-out-of-jail card. They were told to honor and obey Christ in the midst of their situation. And it was not a freely entered sometimes covenantal marriage. So to say, I'm getting a divorce and here's the reasons why and I'm going to justify that. What grounds do you have according to this passage who was giving to slaves and slave masters who we already know were treated so poorly, yet God told them, honor and obey for my sake. God commanded these slaves to honor and obey with a joyful heart, not because your spouse deserves it, but because you don't deserve the graces that God has already given you and continues to give you. Husbands, is your wife really harder to love than it was for these slaves to love their cruel slave masters? Is your wife harder to love than it would have been for these slaves to love and honor these men who were treating them this way? And it doesn't matter, even if they are or aren't. God has commanded it. But we know that they're not. And so that should make it easier, right? But a lot of times we come up with our own excuses. Imagine for a moment if the talk among those in Ephesus of that day, the talk among the slave owners was that if they were going to have a slave, that they wanted a Christian slave. Because Christian slaves are respectful and honoring and loving, and they work harder. Would they treat that slave differently? They would value that slave more. They probably would treat them differently. And ultimately, we see later in Scripture, because of how these slaves 
acted towards their masters, many slave owners came to Christ and abolished their slave practices. Because of a slave, a person who was considered property, a tool, was honoring them. So we have a lot of influence in our marriage as a wife or as a husband or as a child, even of leading another family member or a friend to Christ by our actions. We should be using words too, but we can't just forsake these things that God has called us to. So imagine in today's world that employers desperately want Christian employees rather than non-Christian employees because Christian employees work harder. They have a better work ethic. They're responsible, respectful. They don't cheat or cut corners. That if somebody wants somebody to work for them, they would rather have a Christian. If that was just a universal thing because of Christians' work ethics. Imagine a coach at a school who wants all Christians on the team because Christian students practice harder. And they don't use foul language and get ejected from the game or try to cut corners or hurt somebody else. But they work hard. Doesn't mean they're the best player on the field. But they work hard the hardest, and have the most diligence. Imagine if that was the thought process for today. That if somebody moved into somebody else and they're a Christian, that the other neighbors are like, great, I can't, I, I, I wish all of my neighbors were Christians, even if they're not saved. If everybody was like that because Christian neighbors are loving, respectful, they want to get to know people, that's the way we should be. So I want to end Just reading this verse again, and I've made it a little bit more clear with some things for us today. Bondservants of Jesus Christ, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ himself in person. Not by the way of your eye service or as a people pleaser, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from a grateful, sincere, happy heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Employers do the same to them. Stop your threatening and unfair treatment, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it cuts through our excuses, through the things we try to justify. Because you had every reason to do things for yourself. You had every reason to serve yourself when you came here. You had every reason not to love us. You had every reason not to die for us. And the excuses and the things we justify in how we treat our spouse or when we don't show love or when we don't show honor or when we treat our children wrongly or when we treat our parents wrongly, all of those things you never gave an excuse for. You silently went and died in our place not justifying yourself as we so often try to justify our actions. God, we thank you that you cut clearly through these things through your word. 
God, we thank you that we can even see this picture of these slaves and masters, knowing that they were treated harshly, but in the midst of those circumstances, they could honor you. And ultimately, that changed their circumstances many times. But God, they didn't do it to change their circumstances. They didn't do it to have a better life or to make more money or to be happy. God, they did it for your glory. And that's the way we want to be as a follower of you. We want to do things for your glory. Regardless of if my situation gets better or worse, we're doing it unto Christ. God, we pray that we have the boldness to do that in our marriages, in our relationships, in our family, and in our work places. God, we love you. We thank you for your word and for your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.